Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. What's up, Big Greg? How are you, man? Doing good. It's the uh, new year, and we're back in action here, ready to catch up and uh, launch uh, the first episode of the 2023. It's all good, dude. I see we're both in sort of odd quarters. I see, um, you know, a, a different background for you, and I'm in my garage. Uh, not exactly banished, but my my mother-in-law and wife are, are working on stuff in, in the house, and between the two of them, frankly, I just need a little bit of uh, a quieter spot, so... We're out here and I've got my my old race paraphernalia and advertisements and stuff like that behind us. How about uh, how about you, man? Back in uh, back in the the routine here, I've been gosh, I haven't been in the office in weeks. And so um, back to the sort of regular, you know, cadence that that brings with it. Um, so, you know, brings with it sort of the pluses and minuses of having, you know, more space, um, quieter space, but, you know, Kind of back in the rat race, if you will. Yeah, no, I, I understand completely. Well, hey, we are joined by a guest today. This is pretty cool. So why don't we just, you know, jump right in and loop this individual in so we can talk about a, uh, a wrist check. I don't think anybody's doing a poor check because I've been under the weather. You're you're not in a, uh, a permissive environment. And our guest, Mike Stockton, is joining us from Florida. And even in Florida, it's still kind of early. So I don't know. Unless, Mike, I don't know. Do you have a beer pour there? What do you got? I don't, and kind of like you, it was a little under the weather, so I'm behaving today. I'd really like to have a beer right now, but uh, <laughs> or a whiskey or something. But uh, yeah, so for, first off, thanks for having me, and Happy New Year. So yeah, well, Happy New Year to you. It's great to have you back. And you know, um, for the listener, we've been trying to thread the needle schedule wise, you know, for <laughs> for several days, and we sort of learn right as as people with young families, you have time off. Um, you think you're going to have time to yourself, the time quickly gets filled. Yeah. And then, I mean, I always say it when I'm traveling out your way, but uh, three hour time difference when you're in the US is actually pretty substantial. It's a big deal. Yeah, it can be, right? It's it's almost easier like talking to somebody, you know, Greg, when we've had like Dan Clayton on, you know, he's so far removed time-wise that for him, he's usually you know, seeing us at like 2 a.m. his time, <laughs> the differential is huge. Yeah. yeah, no, it really is. It's uh, it's funny. It, it, you know, most of my, we were back East uh, right before all the winter storms hit. And uh, so all my family's back that way too. And just being able to, like you said, we were talking the other day on the thread and, you know, we were about to be freed up and then Mike was like, oh man, well, that's going to be about dinner time for us. And that's another, you know, then all of a sudden it becomes late and it's just that three hour offset becomes real tricky. Yeah, no, it, it, but but it is fantastic when I'm traveling there for work and you look down at your uh, watch and it's like 4 or 5 p.m. and you're like, yes, everybody else is asleep or they've stopped working. <laughs> so good. So, yeah, you guys have that advantage. And usually it's sunny. So, 
Yeah, usually not uh, not the last few days, but we need, yeah. as you were saying before we we started recording, we definitely need the rain, and it's a nice change of pace to get real weather here. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, you know, if I think about like Terminator Two when uh, Arnold was like rolling through those, um, what are those concrete things all flood through control. LA? Yeah, yeah. Flood so so are they filled with water camp. right now? Some of them are. Yeah, I wow. I was out. Uh, Earlier today, we were driving, Greg, you know, in the uh, Arcadia Pasadena area, and there's a lot of this stuff coming off. So, Mike, we're, we're right underneath, Greg and I, the um, San Gabriel Mountains. So we're kind of in foothill oh, communities. Nice. And there's pretty significant watershed. So even though, you know, it might be like an inch an hour in terms of rainfall, which is not crazy, you know, but it's it, it, that's real rain. But when you add up all of the, uh, like the surface that's, yeah. you know, pointing downhill, it, yeah. it gets going pretty good. So yeah, our, our flood control channels are, are pretty full and we have rescues all the time, like pretty dramatic things. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's wild. So, well, right on. Yeah. So, Hey, why don't we do this? Let's, uh, none of us has a poor check today, but let's get into the risk check. Greg, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, sure. It's actually funny because, uh, we were just, I was just texting on our group thread with Mike about this and I, I haven't had a chance to do the full, the full recon re- research mode. But this fun, funky little Mike helped me identify at least the date of production. We think it, we're thinking it's 1973 with this uh, gold-plated citizen tiger eye dial. Mm, yeah, which uh, was like sort of a, a late night <laughs> pickup, and just sort of arrived uh, randomly, you know, just before the holidays. And uh, yeah, this thing is so fun. Um, it's kind of got this like. Ellipse esque piece, yeah. you know, um, crazy cool tiger eye dial, um, manual wind, and uh, it's it, that's actually keeping time fairly well right now. And uh, just was scratching a weird itch that had developed around sort of stone dials and all kind of weird alternative styling, and it just screamed seventies to me. Really affordable way to to try something out like that. Is it from the U.S. or? You know, that's a great question, Mike. I mean, it came from the U.S. actually. Pompano Beach, ironically. Oh, wow. Right here. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to dig into like, you know, if there's where it may have originated from yet, but, uh, yeah, like you said, super affordable, you know, you had, you had gone on a few times recently, well, it was a few episodes back, but sort of on the citizen train, you know, and, and some of the homers and some of the other stuff you've been having a lot of fun. And for some reason that stuck with me as I, this sort of popped on the screen and it felt like a fun way to sort of play, play in that, play in that, uh, sandbox. No, that's really, really cool. And I guess I wasn't aware that they did stone dials like that. Um, I'll have to take a look uh, because I've been really, really looking lately at old day dates with impossibly expensive stone dials. So that is a good good place to, to scratch that itch, let's say. You know, as a quick aside, there was somebody, a friend of ours, just got, not just, but recently picked up a, a Piaget with a lapis lazuli dial. And that sort of sparked my inter imagination as well. I'm like, who else was doing this besides a few of the known characters that you might, you know, rattle off the top of your head. And so just all of a sudden this one, this popped up and, and I was just like, so taken aback by how odd and, and kind of cool it was. Wow. it's a great pickup. Greg, who got that? I think I know who it is, but was it, was it Aldo? Yeah, it is Aldo. Nice. I watched Art Logi. Yeah. 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 He's been kept grabbing some really cool things lately. Yeah. That guy's got great taste. Although if you're listening, yeah, you've got a great collection, man. But it's it's funny though, you think about watches like that, whether it's the Piaget or this, and 
you don't have to go back too long where these were just like just as far away as cool from cool as could be right and now you know it, it does show everything somehow has its day in the sun again right and yep nailed it yeah i wish i had made those purchases back when nobody wanted those things so <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's sitting pretty yeah, yeah. I remember actually, I think Mike, when you were on with me um, months ago, and then Greg and I in the intervening period, and it, it seems like, you know, a number of people talked about a year or so ago about, you know, the that neo vintage period, like mid, early mid 90s to, you know, the early aughts. And now it, I don't know if we were just maybe ahead of the curve, or as you say, everything kind of comes back around. But it, it seems like everywhere I look, I'm seeing more and more talk about that stuff, like whether it's you know, Blanc Pond trilogy pieces or, you know, some of, some of the better, cause some of them were pretty schlocky, but some of the better like tag Hoyer references from that period. Um, you talked about Abel and the more people talk about it, I'm like, no, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Don't, you're going to wreck it. You're going to wreck it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys see it firsthand on the car front, right? Like the whole Radwood thing and everything, it, you know, California is really a trendsetter on that, that front. And then of course, you know, it's people coming of age that remember stuff when they were kids and they now have some money to spend. And yeah, I, I, I still remember being a kid and walking into jewelry stores and seeing like all the, remember they'd have like a Lucite thing showing all the different dials you could pick for Rolex. And I guess they would like do it for you there, like wood and all these other things. And yeah, it feels so dated, but now it's properly in vogue. So yeah, or custom dial, right? Greg, yep. if you've ever gone to um, uh, Ken Jacobs' place, want to buy a watch, I haven't seen them so much lately. But you know, in the past, they'd have a fair number of just you know garden variety Rolex references, but that had been you know custom dialed so that there were you know different um, you know different color variations and and like texture treatments and stuff like that. It's just all very very common back then. You know, now it's like, oh my God, you can't, can't find that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yep. How about you, Mike? What do you have on wrist? Well, kind of on topic and, um, I, I am wearing my day date today. So it is a reference 1803 in white gold. And I've mentioned this one quite a bit lately cause it's still is most definitely the honeymoon period. Although I think I got it like six or seven months ago and I, I wore it and then I didn't, I was traveling a lot and I just wasn't comfortable wearing it to like I went to Mexico and, and places like that. And it's the only watch I brought to Florida other than a citizen uh, eco drive diver for, you know, the, the whatever activities around here. And yeah, I'm, I'm firmly in love with this watch and uh, it's, it's just super cool. I, I, I think I was on the fence about yellow or whatever, but uh, the right white gold one popped up and it's good. I mean, if you know the watch, you know it. Um, and it certainly looks like a Rolex, but it's obviously much stealthier, which is probably a good thing these days, right? So, yeah, I think so. That's a good choice. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I just have to remark. So, we, we got here uh, on the 22nd, and the next day we were. Um, we went to go have lunch in Fort Lauderdale um, on Las Olas Boulevard. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's kind of like a, a street with a lot of shops and cafes and stuff and kind of fancy, I guess. But 
I, I went to like this clothing store and I'm in there like looking at some stuff and this guy comes in who must have been all of like 35 and he's wearing, you know, like one of those fishing shirts, some shorts and like some Stan Smiths or something. And on his wrist dangling is a gold day date. And I'm like, wow, we're bros for a second. <laughs> no, the question is, did you have your new stance in this song? Cause you've been, this oh, is a new collection for you. I no? think I did have them on that day. I totally <laughs> did. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Yeah. It was funny, but yeah, the day date has made, made a comeback. This was also a watch that I think for a lot of people was really kind of, yeah, very cheesy for a while. And, uh, they're neat. They're, they're really quality pieces. So no, that's stealthiness of the white. That's the, the white. That's just, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's the way to go. If I can only, there are certain things where, you know, if you could only have one of, you know, any given type of thing, you know, if it's going to be a, uh, a, a Rolex day date, um, white gold or platinum, that's, that's oh, the platinum. way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a customer who had a, a platinum, and that thing was just phenomenal how cool it was. And then there's a guy, I, Greg, I don't know if you know him, but he's a, uh, a great dealer here in Southern California. And he has a, uh, a platinum with that, I don't know what the, the name is, but that sort of sky blue metallic dial, oh, um, yeah. Arabic dial. Yeah. And that thing is just, uh, what a stunner. But, you know, on, on wrist from 15, 20 feet away, if you just do a first glance, you're thinking, you know, a steel watch. And you get steel closer. date trust, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, wait, different bracelet. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what that is. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Well, I'm about as far away as you can be from <laughs> a uh, a Rolex day date. But I'm, I'm wearing what I think is probably one of the most important watches from last year. And that is the... Uh, the Seiko 5KX GMT. I have the oh, orange nice. one. Yeah, the, uh, the SSK. This is a 05. Mm-hmm. I always get him confused. 0503. I think this is a 05. But um, this is one of those things that I think in, in the long run, may we may look back and think of this as like an important watch in air quotes. You know, the way we, uh, the way we think of like, you know, the first SKS watches, you know, the 007, the 013 the uh, 009 right. and yeah, just a, a super cool watch. Love the fact that you can hand wind it. And to me, um, I think it sort of adds some legitimacy to the, the five KX line of watches. You know, there, I personally haven't really liked the idea that they took something that's like almost a one for one visually, but then did all the sort of feature delete on it, mm. you know, basically making it a, a non-diver and then just, they're basically streetwear watches and that's fine, you know, for the people that like them, but they're about as far away from sort of the legit coolness of the, the SKX models that they replace. And I think, hey, you know, having a GMT in it, you know, just further democratizes GMT as a, you know, as a, a what's the word I'm looking for as a complication and you know, it, to me, it makes this watch worth having now or this family of watches. And I'd be interested to see if they, if they throw GMT into more stuff now. Yeah. I, well, I, I agree. It was, it was a master stroke, the release. And I think what I also really liked about it, because we've all watched Seiko go up market and 
they also sometimes really struggle to make a watch that's wearable. They, they make really big watches and, and chunky watches sometimes. Um, like I think of those really expensive Spring Drive LX divers. I love the look of them, but man, they're huge. And, they're huge, yeah. And this shows that they still can do something on the lower on the lower price spectrum that really hits hard. And uh, you know, especially with with the whole um, the value for money uh, discussion. So. I think it, I think it was great. I think I've seen the orange one in person, and yeah, I've, I've sort of sworn off buying more and more um, modern Seikos that I I I just know I'm not going to give the wrist time to. But um, but that one is a tempting one, I have to say. Well, okay. So here's how I, if I'm in your head, this is how I'm justifying it to myself. If I'm Mike Stockton's brain, <laughs> and that is that there, there really isn't looking backwards. There really isn't like a, a, a vintage or neo vintage analog to this. No, it, it's very fair. And thank you. Not thank you for, for uh, justifying spending, it for me. <laughs> spending Mike's money for him. <laughs> so, so my justification for buying it and it would, I don't, I don't know which it would be, it would be, and, and this is really only with Seiko. I do this because it's, well, it was affordable when I was doing it and in, uh, in a big way, but I, I like to build a chronology and I think aside from the 6309, so they use that number after the turtle for a automatic version using the SKX case, um, I think I own one of every model that uses that case. So the early quartz stuff, the later quartz stuff, and I don't own the midsize stuff, but that would be my, that that's the one that's like calling to me. It's like, Ooh, I kind of want to see the lineup in my, uh, in yeah. my watch folder. Right. Do you so. have a, is it the one seven two? Is that the, what's, Oh man, I'm trying to think of the reference from the eighties. Um, are There's you a, thinking a Pepsi? Automatic SKX seven seven zero zero two. Maybe yeah. Right. You know what? I think that's it. I should know. I own one. I bought it from Keaton. <laughs> I'm like, oh uh, 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 yeah, yeah. He, yeah. You did buy a seven double zero two because he even mentioned it to me. Um, the uh, that's the one with only the date, which is a super yeah. cool model. Very hard that's to right. find. Um, that's right. It's a date only instead of a day date, and it is um, it is. The, the squared off markers. So the indices are, are square plots, not round. And I've always liked that. I think that's a, a really cool look. I regret not getting, um, and maybe I, I will at some point, but you know, the more modern version of it, but it's a, a black dial watch. I, the only reason I haven't is just that they've just kind of crept up in price and it's mm. hard to, to justify when you, you know, you five years ago, you could buy an SKX for 150 bucks. Yeah. I think it was, was it maybe a year ago or gosh, I have to look if it was two years ago, but I think it was on Joma shop that I bought the, uh, orange one, which is what, is that the nine? The, the nine is the Pepsi, the blue one. Okay. So what is it? The 13 then? Uh, it could be, or why do I think the 13 is the, the small one, the, like the, the 39 or 38 millimeter. So regardless, I bought I bought the orange one. They it was like the very end of um, them carrying these discontinued watches, and I want to say new it was like I think I paid 
couple hundred bucks for it, which when I look back to the one I bought eight years ago for like $110, yeah, it felt like a kick in the teeth, but I thought, all right, I'll buy it and I'll just put it aside because it is kind of a legendary watch, right? So, Greg, you don't own an SKX, do you? I don't. Um, you know, I have I have not really fallen down the Seiko rabbit hole tremendously. Um, don't. I have a... Uh, <laughs> two kinetics that I got early on, like the very first, even like mechanical watches I ever owned, um, 20 years ago. And, uh, and those are the only Seikos I own. Okay. They still working? Yes, but they need new capacitors. capacitors. Yeah. It's kind of neat. Like I took, um, I bought, I think it was like one of the first kinetic divers that they call it the starfish. And it's really a very, let's say of the era looking watch, you know, it's, it's quite dated looking, but it also needed a new capacitor. And the cool thing was um, the Seiko boutique switched it and they use the updated capacitor. So they, they, they can put in um, whatever the current capacitor is, which lasts a whole lot longer. So, and it's seamless. You, you don't even notice. So it's a, it's a good, and it was a very inexpensive thing to do. So that's good to know because I do want to do that just to kind of keep it in good order. Yeah, Greg, you have the. I've, am I thinking of the one that you have that's kind of like the? Uh, it looks vaguely like the ashtray. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, so that might yeah. be the one, the same one. We might have the same one. Yeah, this one's like a. It's titanium and, oh, and okay. two tones, gold, gold tone and and titanium, and then I have another one that's all black, coated and uh, and gold two-tone as well so they're sounds they're really like, good that's yeah. like proper 80s 90s there right yeah yeah that's cool yeah, yeah that's one of those yeah when you um showed it to me i was in fact did you put it on a strap greg because it's i did and it actually made a huge difference yeah it's like that old tag hoyer i have where you you put it on a strap or you put it on a nato and all of a sudden it's like oh that that's a completely different animal it's um it looks a lot younger Nice. Cool. Very cool. Well, hey guys, as a, uh, as a topic. So I should say, Mike, when I first saw in, you know, on screen, I saw your watch. I didn't see the watch head. I just saw the bracelet and you can forgive me. I hope for, you know, maybe thinking you were wearing the, uh, the newer Speedmaster. Did you guys see that made me think of, did you see the, uh, like the cryptic post from Omega regarding some announcement on the 26th? I noticed that's not a Tuesday. But yeah, there's going to be some some update. But is it Speedmaster related? I thought it said something regarding Speedmaster. Let's take let's take a look. Yeah, I, I had to double check that too because I hadn't seen it. And I, I think they I want to say they use the Speedmaster hashtag. So what? Okay, tiny device. Huh. Yeah, it is Speedmaster. So. That's a good question. I'm trying to I think. Mean, it, looks, it looks like a you know a uh, a balance spring or maybe a mainspring, huh. which is yeah. ironic too, right? Because I think I want to say on Fratello, I saw not long ago. This is this 2023 will be the 70th of the Seamaster. Is that also correct? Not to it is, up. yeah. And you know, for whatever reason, I mean, usually like the one of the first Tuesdays of January, they always do something Speedmaster related. So you're right. This is a little bit weird that it's, uh, it's coming later. So 
I don't know if it's really a technical change. I mean, the silicon, I, I, I don't even know. Like, they've obviously got the coax, but is there a silicon uh, hairspring in there? I, I don't know. It just yeah, feels like um, a rather, uh, how would I say it? Like, Obviously, people are going to get really excited about this. And if it's like a small technical change, it, it's kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, cool, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would wonder one thing that I have heard speculated, and I honestly, I don't know. I'm going to hold up my hand and say, I don't know, you know, enough about the, the technicalities to know if this is a thing. But one speculation is, okay, if if the spring is different, maybe it's the, a different mainspring. Mm. Um, if that spring is different, you know, in terms of the, I don't know, metallurgy, if it's still the term, if it's silicon, right? But let's say there's a, a completely different spring. If the barrel architecture is the same, does, is is there a possibility that it's going to yield a significantly different power reserve? No other changes. So in other words, maybe, maybe they're going to change like the caliber nomenclature or something like that if they can get like an extra 10 hours of, of power reserve out of it or something like that. So- Otherwise, I don't know. It's kind of odd, right? Because the, you know, the 30, well, the, the new, um, I mean, the movement that is in the Speedmaster Professional currently is not that old, right? So they introduced the coax. Um, I want to say it was with the, the 3861 with the gold 50th anniversary uh, right. piece. So, you know, we're talking 2019, which I guess, all right, now it's already going on four years, but, um, it gets, um, I want to say I get somewhere out of 60 or 70 hours out of mine. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it feels strange to me that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of wondering what the benefit would be. And I guess with the Metos, um, uh, certification, it's got a decent amount of magnetic, uh, property as well. Right. Yeah. Well, so, and again, maybe if the shape of the thing can change, if they can make the barrel flatter, do they make the overall movement flatter and then make it, make it a thinner watch? Who knows? But anyway, it's it's out there. Something we'll find out in about three weeks. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, uh, maybe I'll do some sniffing around and, and see if I can get any kind of uh, intel. But <laughs> yeah, so. Well, that you know that's that's on the speedmaster front do you think we're going to see anything for seamaster because you guys you and balash on your pod like two episodes ago talked about you know the the i I think you mentioned the bond anniversary thing Uh you know the 30 year but you know that's kind of a thing within a thing yeah for the seamaster and i i wonder i mean are we going to get a peter blake or is it going to be an le or a new model or yeah, I, I, it's a good question. And I, I wonder, you know, with like, I think a lot of people have been speculating that the Planet Ocean, you know, for example, could be due for some sort of an update. And if you look at like the, uh, what is it, the Ultra Deep? Um, I mean, I remember I, I was just, I don't go to a lot of um, events, but it just so happened when they debuted that um, the original one, the one that actually went down you know, a gazillion feet. <laughs> um, it was in London and that was like a day off in Germany for some holiday. So I was able to go and, and do that. Nobody else on the team could go. So it was cool. Actually, I got to see uh, Jason Heaton there. That was nice. Um, 
and we we both remarked that that was a really good looking watch. Of course, it was massive, and then what they finally came out with last year was still a massive watch. Uh, I wonder if we'll get to see something in a more wearable size with sort of that style profile, and if they'll use the 70th anniversary as a as a as a way to debut something like that. I think that would be pretty cool uh, because uh, what was it the um, the trilogy of pieces that came out in um, what year was that? Six? Was that, uh, was that like 50s? sixteen or seventeen? Yeah. So you know, the Railmaster, Seamaster, and Speedmaster. They can't really do like a retro piece again because they did that right. So and Omega also seems to be getting off of the whole limited edition uh, train as well. Um, that being said, you can't find a Snoopy, but um, you know. <laughs> So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see something more in that ultra deep style for the the planet ocean. I'd love to see it in like 40 or 42 millimeters and maybe that would actually be interesting for me. So what do you think, Greg? So, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like anytime I make a prediction on these things, it ine- inevitably becomes like totally wrong and obsolete in <laughs> short order, <laughs> but it doesn't like, you know, take away from the fun of doing it. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're going to keep us in the dark. I feel like, um, you know, every time we, we think someone's going to zig, they, they tend to zag on us. So, right. um, yeah, I just remember the last few releases as we were trying to read between the lines and read the tea leaves. It was, it's always a pretty, pretty tricky uh, task. What do you what do you think, Matt? Well, I mean, I the thing I think they, that everybody wants, at least you know that I hear people talk about, is wanting some kind of a uh, you know a sword hands mill sub uh-huh. kind of a thing, you know that's that's kind of like the twenty two fifty four. When you think about it, the the current iteration of the three hundred M is now four years old, so that's not old. But you know, it's not like it was last year or the year before. It's it's been a minute. I think they could probably you know, split that, you know, into there could be a fork in the road with that design Mm. and that, that K shape and everything like that. Um, I personally, I think they finally arrived at like the, the Goldilocks planet ocean size with that, you know, the 39.5 PO that's a, a really, really cool watch. So I think, you know, hopefully they don't mess with that too much. Um, or it may be something completely different. You know, I mean, I would, I would wonder if they do, you know, like a, a, a completely new model or maybe a refresh across all the ranges, but. Well, and we also always forget that the Seamaster name encompasses a whole lot of watches, right? It's not just the divers. It's these date just type watches and. Aquaterra. Yeah, exactly. And who knows what they'll do there or more of a dress piece. I mean, I've always, uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but. You know, if you think back historically, like with the Speedmaster manual line movements, they were in Seamaster chronographs as well. And I would love to see a manual line Seamaster chronograph again. I I think that would just be fantastic. I don't know if they'll ever do it, but I think it'd be cool. Yeah, those are actually, I think, some of the coolest. And it's one of those things where I just... You know, money doesn't grow on trees. So if I <laughs> if I have to only have one or two things, I probably wouldn't. My my mind stays away from vintage because I just don't feel super confident. But you know, we've um, 
we've got a couple of good dealers here in Southern California that almost always have like at least one really good example of that. I don't know what the reference is, but I mean, it's, it's smaller than you think, right? You know, it's maybe right around 40 millimeter. It's got some cool kind of blue tones to it, uh, you know, on the dial and, you know, two or three sub dials and, uh, you know, anything with sort of the, the LaMagna airplane hand. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, that's a have to have feature. I love those things. Yeah. Super, super cool. You know, what about something that could be, dude, they could do something like a, you know, a regatta timer or an uh-huh. apnea again. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that they could conceivably do, but I think if it's a big anniversary, like 70 years, I think they go for a down the middle play, like a, a model that's, appeals to a lot of people, which is why I think Peter Blake. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see. I, I think uh, it's just, you know, it's odd, right? Like we used to get ready for Basil and, and all this stuff. And you sort of had like firmly in your mind when something was going to come. And now this stuff just sort of comes out of the air, right? Or they, they give you a little hint on Instagram, right? So. Yep. Well, that's Omega. Did you see Blanc Pond yesterday? I did. Yeah, I did. I know. Uh, I don't know, Greg. You were gonna. Sorry, you're gonna say something. <laughs> no, no. We'll circle back to it because I know it is a perfect segue into sort of the 70th anniversary of of uh, of Blanc Pond release that you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just mildly butthurt. I I love that brand, but 70 70 units basically for each market. Um, yeah, those are gone. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to imagine those are are absolutely gone. But, uh, and the aesthetics on them are so cool, but that's one of those, um, where again, money, no object, I would just yoink, grab one of those for myself. Super cool. I like those. Yeah. So the availability been there, Matt, would you like to have made a play for it? You know, I mean, the real answer is, you know, I probably couldn't just because it would be enough, um, that I'd, I'd have to make some moves or I'd have to plan for it. Cause I mean, I think they're saying they're calling it. I think something like the, the prices I don't think announced yet, but what I keep hearing bandied about is like roughly 18,000 Euro. Yeah. It's a lot so, of I mean, money. That's, yeah. That's, that's a big boy watch. And you know, at that, at that price, I'm like, well, I have, <laughs> I have a Blanc Pond diver now and I still kind of want a GMT again in my life. Um, that would foreclose on the GMT opportunity for at least probably the next year. So maybe not, but, what I would have liked to have seen done, honestly, I, and I, I don't know if they'd ever do it. Well, certainly they can't now. Cause I think, you know, Bill Yao basically, I don't know if he bought or resurrected or whatever, but the Tornick Rayville name. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I thought there was a, uh, a space for them a year or two ago, them being Blanc Pond to, you know, kind of have a separate line under, under that name and make something a little bit more mill spec adjacent and have it be not the five day, you know, um, PK movement, but the four day that they used in the trilogies, you know what I'm talking about, Mike? So they're a little mm-hmm. bit smaller, but still, you know, a nice, you know, nicely finished, uh, four day movement, a little bit smaller. You can put that in like a 39 or 40 millimeter watch and just, you know, essentially kind of take some of the, the higher end features off of it, you know, and sell it as a competitor to a Submariner or something like the basic CQ. And, you know, I know CQ is also in sort of in the swatch house, but, um, 
I think there's a huge appetite for that because I think a lot of people are aware of uh, Blanc Pond's chops as like, you know, a, an original, you know, diver. And I know a guy, a, a buddy of mine, actually, his dad, who must be in his 70s, was a retired, you know, like chief warrant officer, CWO4 in the Navy. Huh. He's a master diver and he was issued and he's got some of his issued watches still. He was issued oh, nice. Doxa and Tudor and Block Pond. Oh, wow. And, you know, some cool Seikos. And, you know, he's got some of these watches. Blanc Pond was like the first thing he was issued back in the 60s. Crazy. Yeah. You know, to think of what that would be worth now. Yeah. Well, yep. you know, for whatever reason, and I, and I know you've got a, a Blanc Pond, but for whatever reason, this the, the current design for the 50 Fathoms has just never rang to me. I, I It feels a little bit like... If I think about the the bezel and and just the case, and it feels a little bit bulbous to me. Um, it definitely does feel like a watch to me, at least that that feels very '90s inspired in some ways. And uh, they, they've done a lot of different LEs. I feel like over the last several years, whether it's with Hodinkee or this uh, No Rad one they did, I guess last year, and it's it's always like I like the watch, but and the butt is either like the date, like why? Um, or, you know, they put their name on the side of the case or some, something like that, that it just like keeps me from going, wow, I really, really want that. And I'm with you. I, I really wish that they would do something a little bit more boiled down and go after the sub. Uh, I, I know that's not the brand that they want to be. They like being you know, a tear up, I guess, but still, I, I feel like that's really something I could bring people into the brand and then, okay, they shoot, shoot higher. And maybe they think the Bathyscaphe is that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think the Bathyscaphe is what well, I'm a smaller guy, you know, I've got just over six and a half inch wrist. And for me, the Bathyscaphe is the move. I, the way I describe the, the larger watch bike is I say, it's kind of like a marshmallow. It's just puffy, mm. you know, all of, all of its edges are kind of rounded and exactly like you said, it's sort of puffed up. Um, I could take or leave the Blanc Pond on the side of the case. I mean, to me, that looks like Meisterstuck, you know, that, like <laughs> a, from a different brand. Yep. Um, and it's like, eh, but you know, they don't, they don't fart around with any of that stuff on the, uh, the Bathyscaphe. So, yeah, which is a great watch. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Anyhow, well, that's, that's Blanc Pond, but supposedly they're going to be doing, I think, different things. So, you know, we have to see, you know, whether or not they're going to release something else. But they just, they came out swinging, you know, basically, what, January 1, January yeah. 2? I mean, that's... So here it is. Yeah. And or maybe or maybe the latest uh, Swatch Collab. Well, yeah, there's that rumor that there's a, a prototype hanging around, right? I, I really hope not. <laughs> I really I, hope not. I also hope not. I mean, it could be fun, but it's... You know, Blanc Pond is not the household name, sort of, that Omega is, you know, to hang your hat on. That would almost be like Swatch X Jacques Edro or something like that. Yeah, Nobody yeah. Nobody cares. And, I mean, I have to tell you guys, I mean, I, I have one and it's a fun watch and everything, but I'm like so tired of the, it's, it's just like, I'm so tired of talking about a uh, $250 watch all the time. And as cool as it is, you know, I, I, I don't want that again. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I actually just got one and uh, just beforehand had been offered once or twice, like one of the colorways that I didn't want and just kind of, just kind of said, no, I'm good. Like it'll, it'll come or it won't. I'm kind of done thinking about it, kind of done talking about it. And uh, anyway, it came in and, and I have the Jupiter now and it's really cool. It, like you said, it's, it's, it's cool. It's neat. But I, I reached that similar saturation point that you, that you were describing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I just can't believe like a few weeks ago I was in London and there are people standing outside, um, still. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, anyhow, <laughs> moving on. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, I think there's that phenomenon as long as you can't get it. I mean, here's the dynamic, right? In the Western United States, I mean, West of the Mississippi, yeah, there are no stores, right? You know, there's, I want to say it's Denver, Las Vegas, San Francisco, and I think that's it. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in San Francisco, or Vegas technically is doable, but it's one of those things where, you know, you're not going to, nobody's going to get on an airplane to fly someplace, to stand online, <laughs> you know, especially if you're going to commit to having a place to stay, you know, so like going up, you know, to San Francisco or something like that, um, you know, and get up there and be told like, oh, we didn't get a shipment. Or, you know, we got 10 watches and you're like number 22 in line. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a bummer because I mean, I, I certainly would like one, but I'm, I'm not going to do what it takes to get one. Yeah. I, I, I've not been, I think I've been to the boutique in Frankfurt once since the, uh, the day and it was to get some battery changes like for my daughter's flick flacks and. I just don't even bother to ask. <laughs> it just feels like humiliating, you know? And, <laughs> but one of my, I mentioned on a show, like one of my wife's colleagues um, went one afternoon during the week and he picked one up and, you know, he apparently said, yeah, they kind of said, this is usually the day they get some. And I, I don't remember what day it was, but yeah, I, I I'm done. Okay. I have one so I can say that, but I'm, I'm not going to go and chase these things, right? So, so let, let me revisit sort of what you, a comment you made right as we were talking about the transition from the Omega to the Blanc Pond. You know, the the sort of less cyclical release of news information, right, and releases. Where beforehand you would just be able to know sort of given points in the year when you might be seeing things, you could speculate it, put together research and intel. And now it's just kind of right popping out yeah. fast and furiously. Do you like it one way or the other? Does, does either or present challenges or opportunities? I'm curious that about, you know, how you look at that from your angle. Well, I mean, if I, if I look at it from a Fratello angle, so we had, um, you know, you had Basil and you had, uh, what was it? Uh, what the heck was it called before? What was Watchers we used and Martyrs called? S-I-H-H. There and... we go. Yep. So, you know, you had these two shows that were like a couple months apart and then, Essentially, you know, you went and took like a gazillion pictures, you wrote down all kinds of stuff, you got all these USB things from, from all these brands, which by the way, at the Fertello headquarters, there's like a huge vase where everybody just like throws them in there. Like we've all got a huge collection. And um, I want to guess how many are in there. Do I win a prize? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is a good question. Um, yeah, you probably win the, the USBs. Um, <laughs> but you know, you basically got all this info and of course, like on the day of release, you had your big brands like Rolex and everything. You had to do a story because, you know, you just needed to. Right. And then 
all the like photos you took and all the other stuff, you basically had to make that last for months and months and months. And okay, you had like a few releases coming out during the rest of the year and smaller brands and micros and things like that. But that was what, what it was. Now I will say, okay, it was early on when I got into it um, with Fortello, but going and having it be a place where you got to see everybody and, you know, there was obviously parties and different things going on at night. That was super cool. I, I really enjoyed it. And of course, living in Europe, it was very convenient for me. I never went to SIHH, by the way. I only went to Basel like five times. And um, But then you had like Salon QP in England and that they would usually like release a few things. And so I missed the 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 ado and everything, uh, but it was a lot to cover at once and a lot of good stuff got missed. And, um, uh, so, so this is definitely much more of the times you can see why brands do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, both have their place. Um, but we'll never see that again. We'll never go back to that again. You'll never see it in other industry in, in other industries. It's died off as well. Right. So, Yeah. It, it it gives us stuff to publish um, on a very frequent basis now. And I think that, you know, it's, it's such a weird industry in the sense that when I started, everything was about print. And now, of course, it's moved online. And the, the industry itself and, and COVID, I think, did a lot with us too, like forced them to modernize in a lot of ways. But in the background, of course, they were starting to take advantage of you know, the, the, the manufacturing capabilities that exist today, which allows for quick dial color changes and things like that, that in the past were like moving a mountain. And by the way, it still can be like moving a mountain. I mean, we're obviously involved in releasing some watches several times a year, some limited pieces, and you wouldn't believe, um, how far in advance, you have to start working on these things. And when it comes to working on a watch, like you want to say, okay, I want to change the crystal from sapphire to acrylic to make it more faithful to whatever watch you're potentially harkening back to. That is like (laughs) very, very challenging. It's very challenging. Uh, You know, and I give credit, like, for example, like Hodinkee, I always think about like the uh, Oris Diver 65 they did with the manual wind movement. That's a really challenging thing to do to get a brand to swap that, even if the same, if the movement is the same base movement. Yeah. And you also have to think that the brand's got to service that potentially. So, you know, they're thinking about that too. Like, oh, great. We've got 400 of these watches out there that we've got to somehow deal with if they come back for service and on and on and on. So, yeah, it's not not all altogether different than what any other manufacturing industry faces, I guess. Sorry, that Greg, was a bit we'll of a tangent there. So, <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, Greg, we're going to have to keep that in mind when we do the Spirit of Time collab tutor uh, chronograph in steel and gold or, or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the cocktail timer, right? You know, it, it, sort of like the brew that has the different, um, you know, scales for for you know espresso and and uh, yeah. uh, cappuccino. Right? We need a, a timer for. <laughs> I just thought of something. What if you had something that's like the same type of technology miniaturized as the old school pedometers? Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What if you had something like that that you could reset 
and then you can count the number of shakes, shakes for a cocktail. Yeah. That'd be cool, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. That, that that would and have it be like a panorama date. <laughs> yeah, it'd be are neat. You, are you shaking this cocktail enough? Exactly, exactly. Either that or a uh, you know an accelerometer. How many G's did you put on it? <laughs> and you yep. could like drop it in and see if the temperatures, you know, like a temperature reading or something. There you go. Yeah. You know what's I didn't I want to say the whiskey and watches guys were kind of riffing about like what's a complication that should exist that doesn't and it's pretty hard to think of something I think I th- I just thought of something yeah no I I think that's good and uh, you'd better somehow trademark that because uh, some some somebody might uh, jump on that really quickly yeah yeah for that's sure. IP we're gonna want to hold on to <laughs> yeah. yep exactly exactly yeah the the panorama shake yeah. <laughs> panorama shake nice yeah shaking cocktails not stirred not stirred what hey um i don't know if you want to talk about this i mean we sort of alluded to this i don't want to put you on the spot mike but with so i'll i'll tease it for a second and you just shake your head at me if this is something you don't want to discuss (laughs) but are are you still thinking you might be grabbing your wallet and going out to see somebody later today um well yeah, I, I'm. I think I might leave my wallet um, in the car, but you know, in Florida there there are some some dealers here as well. Uh, you've got Mental Watches in Miami, and Adam's a really nice guy. Um, and then Eric Wind is up in Palm Beach, and I'm gonna go see Eric, and uh, he's just a nice guy to chat with. He's very knowledgeable. He's uh, his background is is just phenomenal, and and. <laughs> You know, you, you really realize that with folks like Eric, I mean, they know the scoop on stuff well before it ever gets printed. You know, they know most of the watches that come up for sale. So he's just like a just you can sit there for hours with a with a with a bourbon or something and just listen. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see some of the stuff he has on sale and if he's got anything from his personal collection uh, to see that. So. Yeah, gonna do that. I, I'm I perused his website, and there are a couple things I want to check out, a couple date just, but there's nothing that's like pulling at me right now. But you know, sometimes in person it can be challenging. You know, my first uh, introduction to Eric was a couple years, maybe early on in the pandemic, when our friends at um, OC Chrono uh, had Eric on um, for like a virtual meetup when everything ah. had to go virtual, and, and they had had him in person sometime before that, of course. And uh, I was just like immediately struck. I'm like, okay, I totally get it. I, yes. I get why Eric, you know, is awesome. And just his ability to tell stories is fantastic too. So I'm sure you guys will have a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I, I remember him, I don't know if it was the first time I met him or not, but we went down to Geneva for the, uh, one of the big auction uh, I can't remember if it was like April or if it was the November session, but you know, all the different auction houses had their thing going on and just went down to cover it. And Eric at that time was with, uh, gosh, I always get it wrong. Was he with Christie's or Sotheby's? I can't remember. Uh, I think Christie's, but anyhow, he was, he was there and this is when they had, um, oh gosh, I'll forget which Rolex it was, but it was, you know, one of these that ended up going for hundreds and hundreds of thousands and yeah i mean he he he, we made an appointment with him even though we obviously weren't buying anything and he showed us all those watches got to go hands-on with some of these pieces that almost fetched a million dollars and 
yeah, very, very humble guy. Just, just really nice. So yeah, it's cool that you were, you had, you had the same impression. I'm looking at his website right now. Some of the stuff that's there is, <laughs> is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and then surprisingly, he'll throw something at you that's very accessible. And you're yeah. just, for me, I'm just like taking it back. I'm like, oh, man, oh, wow. He's into some really you know diverse things, too. Well, he really likes watches, you know, and therefore, um, like last uh, January, I was I had the opportunity to come over here uh, and I attended the Miami Antique Show, which uh, I think I did as a kid. But he was there, a number of other dealers. And yeah, Eric had like everything from kind of stuff you see on his website and then he had like some Seiko chronographs from the 70s and like you say he, he really ran a gamut and you can tell I'll probably get this wrong but you know those Mark Newson watches the is it Icapod or Icapod he's got a couple I, of those and like you could tell he know really loves those either. yeah it's yeah it's it's tough but you could tell he loves those watches and it's very different than you know the vintage paddocks and all that good stuff so yeah, Speaking of very different, I'm looking at this this IWC Ingenieur pocket watch, mm. reference 5215 in steel, and it's got like you know the Genta esque, you know, basically uh, in they they have five yep. on the uh, on the IWCs around the perimeter of the case of this watch. It, this looks super cool, forty nine hundred bucks. Yeah, it, it for IWC pocket watch. You know, it's funny, pocket watches, I don't know what you guys think, but people are always like, oh, do you have a pocket watch? And I'm like, I don't. I just, like, I cannot, unless I had it on my desk, like in one of those, you know, there are companies that sell those little wood blocks you can get made and have it as your desk clock. I just can't see myself ever wearing one. I think I would break it or whatever. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's funny because I just got four of them from my my dad, who's not really like a watch person so he told all of a sudden he told me back in the 70s he had started collecting pocket watches and i was like how and why <laughs> and uh and then I don't, I don't even remember even wearing any watches when i was growing up and i think it was just a thing he got into so all of a sudden i've now collected you know assumed sort of possession of these and they're, it's it's pretty neat it's pretty neat but it, and i was just talking with someone earlier who just picked up a uh universal genève uh oh. chronograph pocket watch which is pretty neat too but we were just talking about you know maybe there'll be you know, uh, some, some reinvigorated, uh, energy around them. But I, I asked the same question, like, how do you, what's like the use case, right? Like, do you, does it sit in a drawer? Like, are you going to carry it on your person? Like that part, I'm, I'm not quite sure of, but they're beautiful and they're really neat. Yeah. The movements and the finishing are just incredible. Usually. That's the thing, right? I mean, they're, they're hard to imagine using in a practical way, but I think dollar for dollar, you probably get better, oh, yeah. more and better hand finishing, more and better sort of uh, uh, access or accessibility to cool complications. And aside from, you know, maybe the, the larger cased watches that are in precious, right? You know, that are of necessity going to cost more. They're almost always cheaper even for some brands, you know, that you would really have to like cough up some serious money, you know, so, and you can, you can find a, you know, a, a Patek uh, pocket watch or a, you know, a, a really good, nicely finished IWC or a Vacheron and probably spend a lot, lot less. Oh than yeah. You tenth, spend, probably, you know, 
as, as a horological object, it's to me, it's somewhat less practical day to day, but it's not like worth any less, you know, in terms of where it's coming from sort of historically. Sure. I think, I think they're super cool. It's just one of those things where sort of, again, I, I don't have a place for them, but, uh, I really appreciate them. Yeah. I, I came really close. I think it was last year I was in the UK and there was, um, uh, well, Rolex and some other stuff, you know, they're an AD and they had a, like a consignment area and they had this, uh, I want to say it was world war two, even, um, Omega, uh, military issued pocket watch. And it was like black dial with all the luminous and I forget how much it was. I think it was like 700 pounds or something, which I, I ended up going online and I was chatting with some people and it wasn't any like great deal. And it was just so neat looking. But then I came back to the, what am I going to do with this? Thing? <laughs> it's just going to be like another thing that I stick in the, you know, in the safe or whatever it is. So, yeah, but they wow, are cool. That's really interesting too. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, to appreciate it would be cool. And then, you know, meeting up with, with kind of fellow nerds would be fun. But other yeah. than that, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, when there's so many more things out there that you want probably too. Yeah. I don't know, Greg, where, where, where you get out to on the East coast, but, um, when I lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, the NAWCC is there and the pocket watch room is insane. Um, speaking of the finishing, it's like you almost need to wear sunglasses in there because of all the engine turning and everything, just the light gleaming off these things. And of course, many of them American brands too. So that was, that was cool to see. You know, was it probably three or four years ago we were out there and I had made some tentative plans with a few people to get out there and we had to scratch it. I think maybe the weather might've played a, a part in it, but uh, I, I, that's definitely going to be on there for the next time we're out. Yeah. It's worthwhile. So wait, I'm going to, speaking of finishing, it's not really related to uh, pocket watches, but I still have the, the wind vintage website open and Greg. <laughs> so Mike, by way of background, we have a friend, this guy named summer Eskimo summer. Hope you're listening. He absolutely loves, he's a huge fan of Piaget. It's mm. his favorite brand. And, um, there is a 34 millimeter TV dial. I don't know if you oh, can see yeah, this. It's cool looking. Yep. And it's, it's hobnail Claude de Paris dial and case, <laughs> uh, you know, all, all in gold summer. That's got your name all over it, man. That thing's cool. And if I remember that. right, the price is also not that, uh, it's scary, not, is it? No, no, not no. For what yeah. You expect. Yeah, exactly. Could exactly. Greg's is... next move after picking up that citizen. It's sort of in that vein in some way. I know that's, that's always the dangerous part, right? And sometimes you find something kind of fun and like esoteric that's like leading you down a path and you hope it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, Greg, Greg. Piaget 12P Tiger Eye, yeah. reference 12731. Summer Eskimo might fight you for that one too. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. looks hot. Anyway, sorry, I'm going to close this website because that's a that's just bad you for me. It just to- cost yeah. Mike and me money, so yeah. thanks. Yep, yep. Mike, I got to ask when you're when you're over here, what's in the uh, what's in the liquor cabinet? What do you have to to sort of sip on when you're hanging oh, out? That's a good question. Uh, so when I come over, usually within one day. Um, I run out to, we've got, um, do you guys have it in California total wine? Do you have that out there? Yeah, we do. 
So we've got two, and they're kind of equidistant, one in Coral Springs and one in Boca Raton. And I usually find myself in, in both areas at some point in the first few days for whatever reason. And I'll pick up um, two or three different bottles of bourbon and or rye, and um, you know, just I don't finish that usually in two weeks, but I'll leave it, and my dad does at some point. So... But yeah, I, I always try. So I think I mentioned before, like my, my table whiskey, I really like Dickel 12 and the bottled and bond. So I've usually got that laying around and then, um, yeah, try, try some different things. I mean, it's, it's obviously a crowded area here, so it's not as if you're going to go find crazy stuff just sitting on the shelf, but, um, there are times when, some bottles like when for whatever reason uh wild turkey rare breed rye was difficult to get in a lot of places it was just flooded with it down here so i picked up some of that this time and um what else was i drinking oh i brought over a bottle of i don't know if you guys have ever seen this but my dad had it last year and and it came up on amazon prime in germany where we can order alcohol um I brought him a bottle of Johnny Walker Swing. Have you ever seen that before? No, never seen it, never heard of it. Yeah, it's kind of like neat neat to look up. I want to say it was like 100 years ago or so when you had the big ocean liners that were, you know, the main means of transport for, you know, between the continents. Um, They like created a blend and the bottle is sort of like, um, how would I call the shape? It's almost like a, I don't know, reverse teardrop, but the bottom of it is convex and it will move with the waves basically that was the name for the the reason for it but it's it's an easy drinker it's just kind of neat and it was like one of those scotches like i feel like probably went out of vogue in the 50s or 60s much like pinch or or one of those types of things so yeah we we try a variety of things um, so you you found that in Germany and brought yeah, it over. I did. It was like on mega sale, like on the Prime days over there, and next day shipping for free. So I ordered. Can you send us one. a good picture of that? We'll use it as the cover art for this episode. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. send you a picture. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Greg. N- nothing. Like my brother-in-law brought down a you know the the famous McKenna ten. So we had that going and. Uh, yeah, just big big on bourbon. So yeah, how about you? Perfect. What did, what did you drink mostly? This what did you guys do mostly this holiday? Gosh, me and we were back back east for a little while and was able to dip into some fun bourbons. Um, had a chance to finally have some of the um, Van Winkle Ten, which mm-hmm. was the first time I'd ever had that, and uh, and had some Blantons, which was nice because I don't have that too often. Um, a lot of, a lot of local beers, you know, a lot of, uh, kind of the, you know, Philadelphia and adjacent oh, okay. kind of breweries. Did you do any Trogues? Love Trogues. Didn't get any Mad Elf though. I was a little disappointed not to have had some Mad Elf. Okay. Um, I was at the grocery store and I should have just picked it up, but I didn't cause I was in a hurry and, uh, it's still odd to me. You can buy a beer and wine now in the grocery store there. Yeah. And, uh, there was a Trogues, um, Hershey's uh collaboration for like a top ah. order. I should have just grabbed it. And the guy said it was like okay selling, but I should have just tried it just for the sake of it and I didn't. Now I'm bad. I'm mad that I didn't. It's kind of weird because Yingling did a a thing with Hershey last year. 
And it was actually you know, maybe really it good. Was, maybe was, it, was it Yingling? Maybe it was Yingling then. Okay. It was it good. It wasn't overly sweet, so it was good. So, cool. What is this, like a chocolate porter? Or? Yeah. So, you know, Hershey, Pennsylvania, of course, right there. And you've got some Pennsylvania breweries that tap into that a bit. Um, What's your favorite Pennsylvania brewery? Oh, I think I think it's Trogues. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, you know, I was... Uh, like they do this uh, nugget nectar, which is kind of like a, yes. which is just phenomenal. Um, but I, I think I told Matt last time because you weren't on, and, and Matt was like, "Yeah, I got to tell you, Greg is really the spirits guy." And uh, you know, Matt likes his uh, German beers, but you know, my favorite beer probably of all time is out your direction, and it's it's still to this day Racer Five. So that's my favorite. That's my favorite IPA. So. I agree with you. That was when I got out here, that was like one of the first things that I latched onto. And I still think it's fantastic to this day. Yeah. You know, I see it all the time. I've never tried that one. The IPAs are the kind of thing where I'm um, often, I'm reluctant to get like, you know, a six or whatever, just because I'll, I'll typically start with an IPA. Like I like an IPA, like the next guy, but there's something about the hoppiness that I go straight to headache. Yep. So I'll usually have like a beer and then go to something a little bit lighter or something more, um, you know, just with like a less hop profile. So, you know, a, a Hefeweizen or something like that, Mertzen. And uh, I've, I've seen that one and I've heard people talk about it. So now I'm going to have to try that. You've inspired okay. me. Next time we're we'll together over to, too, that'll be our poor. We'll head to yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? I'll, if I know you like it in the spirit of having had uh, Stockton on with us, like I'll, <laughs> I'll totally, I'll splurge, we'll get some. And next time we record live, that'll be what we crack open. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I remember, I think I was in Portland and we were able to find a place that had like a, oh, it was a larger bottle, but they had the Racer 10, which was a, like a double IPA. And and like from the East Coast, this was like mythical, you know, we, we, we thought, oh, we'll never be able to find this, but they had it. And it was really good. I mean, I don't do doubles that often. It's, it's a really syrupy pour, but it was good. And uh, yeah, you guys are, you guys are spoiled for choice out there and. Well, and then on that multi-year side, I, I, I enjoy Anchor Steam. That's really good from San Francisco. So That's, that's a great beer. Not, yeah. not a lot of people realize or appreciate how, how good and historic a beer that is. Mm. That, that's a great choice all the time. Always a good choice. Yeah. So what about you, Matt? Were you on your uh, German beers over the holiday? You know, um, the past like week or two, I've, I've really been – hitting it pretty lightly just because again, I've not been feeling the greatest. Um, but yeah, you know, German beers in general, I can bounce around between just about anything from Weinstefaner. We Weinstefaner is pretty easy to find here and we get some of the good ones. Um, when I can, I like to get the Schneider Weiss. Ah, that's good. Also, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I want to say probably the last round of things I've had were, you know, the, the different, uh, you know, Meritzen and, and Fest beers and stuff like that. A lot of local breweries now are doing sort of their version of Fest beers, including, mm. I mean, some of, some of them are fairly big, right? Like, so, you know, Greg, um, like uh, uh, Alesmith and I want to say Stone does a Fest beer. Certainly um, Firestone does. And so it's more more sort of German inspired, but you know, produced at, at craft level locally. And that's been sort of my, my winter thing. Um, 
you know, and then I'll, I'll probably move back into lighter beers here when we start seeing sunlight a little bit more. Well, I, I guess next time, or certainly next time I'm out West, I will have to bring some stuff over. I know you're a canned, uh, you, you favor the cans just from a freshness perspective. And it's, it's actually really weird in Germany. It's very hard to find canned beer. It's just not that typical. Um, they do uh, like a 25 cent deposit on aluminum or plastic bottles. And That's awesome. yeah, it's really high. And glass is like an eight cent, um, eight or 12 cents. And also people really have a strong belief there that buying a bottle is going to taste a lot better. So it's, it's really hard to find. I mean, you can find Beck's all day long, but like when I see you drinking canned beer, like on your Instagram, so I, I wouldn't even know where to get some of those German beers. And, and one you like a lot is, uh, I think, from Frankfurt. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a very different uh, market there. But yeah, to be fair, I mean, most brands here are hard to find in cans. But the one that I can typically find in cans um, would be like, uh, oh, um, Cloister Andex. Oh yeah, um, that's a good one. They're, they're in cans. I can find there's a, a spot like a specialty place, uh, Greg over by, um, by Mike's house, you know, up in, uh, up in the Hills there. Um, you can usually find Paul Anner in cans at a couple places around here. Uh, and you know, that's always a good one. And there's somebody else that's just, oh, um, Velton's. Oh yeah. yeah Velton's. That's a big brand. Uh, yeah. Uh, did um, you, did you guys could get, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it, but yeah, there's, you know, uh, that's pretty much the kind of the limit of what I can find in cans relatively often. Now, did you guys get um, out there Tannin's Apple, which is um, the bottles, they're just, you know, normal 12 ounce brown bottles with like a gold foil top and uh, the label has like a kind of like a, a drawing of a person with under a pine tree tannin being like tannenbaum and uh i remember they did like a debut in new york like four or five years ago and that's from kind of the well it's from the black forest and that is an excellent um pilsner so you'd, you'd probably like that so i may just be imagining things but uh, I think that the place that is super local to me may have that. And that's just something I haven't tried yet. It's it is it kind of almost, almost sort of cartoony looking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like a yeah. red, I, green and white label. And yeah, I think they've got top. it. Yeah. Give that a shot. It's good. Yeah. That's uh Ed Vendome, Greg. I'm pretty sure they have that. Yeah. It's a really hip. There's like a couple of few beers that are sort of hip in Germany, but they're good. Like that's a big one. And Tager and Zay is probably my favorite. Hellas over there. So, but I don't think that's in the U S. So next time I come over, I'll have to squirrel a few away in my, in my bag and shoot them off to you. So, okay. Yeah. I can take yes for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we got ourselves a beer shopping list now too. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, got a, totally. Yeah. I've got a place near me. It's amazing. It's got like 600 kinds of German beer and like on average, they're Ninety cents a bottle, you know, it's 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 amazing, and um, yeah, kind of as a short aside, I remember like the first week I moved over there, we have a plant, uh, the company I work for near Bruges in Belgium, and which is an amazing place to go, by the way. Um, but 
you know, 11 years ago and, and still to this day, I mean, Belgian beers are, are kind of a big thing and they were always really expensive in America, like Chimay and all this stuff. And I had uh, done some research like on um, rape beer or whatever, because they had all the shops rated and everything. And I found a place in Ghent on the way back because um, I was driving um, and I stopped in there. And it's horrible to say this, but I looked like Nicolas Cage in that scene where he goes to uh, just fill the cart with liquor. Um, leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, leaving Las Vegas. And that's what I looked like in this place. I think I bought like 120 different beers and, and they were all like a euro each. It was incredible. And the guy was like, he gave me a few free glasses. Like, you know, they have their very specialized glassware. He's like, who is this idiot? You know, and just like, you have kind problem. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I can just picture that. Like, so if you guys get over to Europe, we can definitely uh, we can definitely explore some places or some good. Oh, good I'm, I'm so overdue. So overdue. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We can find a place to do uh, do good cocktails. Greg will bring some good tequila. I don't nice. know. Are they friendly about bringing bottles back? What into to the EU. into the EU? Um, I mean, there are rules, but I've never really seen anyone get stopped. I mean, you can you can bring a couple few, uh, as long as you're not overdoing it. So, yeah. What do you think, Greg? Import, I think it's a, import in air quotes some uh, some good mezcal. Oh, I think that would so. be good. Actually, yeah. surprisingly, I think Germany has some around. Just probably depends where you're at. But I think in terms of the European countries, from my understand, they actually have some some selection there. Yeah, we we do like in Frankfurt. It's interesting. Liquor stores aren't really that typical there. They're like in I don't know where you would go. Okay, I guess the beer place I mentioned has a good liquor uh, thing, but there aren't really like dedicated liquor stores like in the U.S. Um, I mean, I I go to the same bar every week um, for a cocktail, and he's got amazing stuff. Uh, and it's always also a little challenge for me. Like I always try to find something really cool over here that he can't get. And I bring it to him. Um, and usually most people who visit, visit me, that's a stop. So they bring something over for him. It's like kind of like a, uh, an offering. <laughs> so yeah, he's got, he's got some great stuff and he is a huge mezcal fan. So he does get some neat, neat things. Uh, and it's good. Cause you're, you guys like, you're, you like mezcal a lot, right? Greg? Yeah, I do. Probably my favorite spirit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Greg's been getting me into tequila and slowly kind of into mezcal. I don't usually, I'm not into it enough to stock bottles of it at home, but when I'm out, I'll make a point of exploring. Like if there's good kind of sustainable mezcal on a shelf at a good, a bar with a good cocktail program, I'll ask for something like, you know, a, a mezcal Negroni or, oh, nice. you know, yeah, that's really good. Like that. Yeah. Just to, to change it up, just do something that I wouldn't do. And that's kind of my first choice. I'm not, I'm not a big scotch drinker at all. So if I go out, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll pass on that stuff. Whereas my friends might, that might be their first choice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I was in Mexico, like I said earlier, like a couple of months ago, I've been a long time and I was in Sonora and I had some great stuff there. It was, it was just, I, I enjoy tequila. Um, didn't have any mezcal there, but I had a lot of tequilas like that. I had, you know, either can't get in the U S or they're very small. Um, and they also had, maybe, you know, a better Greg, they had a local liquor there that you can buy. Uh, I think you can get it in the U S I think it's called like 
Bacanora or something like oh, that. Yeah. Bacanora, yeah. of course, yeah. That was uh, I had a really good one. Uh, I know some people look at that as like jet fuel, but I I had a good one. Um, yeah, that's awesome. You got a chance to get some uh, some local Bacanora. I think it's yeah. um, they make it in some ways similarly, um, uh, but it's a very specific agave they use. I want to say it's Pacifica. Mm-hmm. Is maybe like the uh, not the scientific name, but the the kind of colloquial term. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it was good and. It's funny. One of the one of the tequilas I'd I'd not really heard of before when I was actually here, and I was just buying a tequila to use for uh, either sipping or, or making margaritas. Um, they had some uh, was it Maestro Dobel, mm-hmm. which you know I chose instead of uh, you know the normal Patron and all that good stuff. And I remember trying it in Mexico, and I thought, yeah, it was really good. It was buttery. It's really nice. So. Yeah, been a mile. it's been a minute since I had a long, tall bottle. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Probably more. Probably been available in California for longer than it has been on the East Coast. But yeah, yeah it's I enjoy tequila. I really do. Very polarizing liquor, though. You find a lot of people who had too many bad experiences with the bad stuff, right? Yeah, it's true. It's true because there, there's some there's some real serious swill out there, and I think it can do some damage if you. <laughs> You oh yeah, you go after it too hard. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah, it's it's easy to get a little bit too much. And as you say, Greg, I mean, I I'm ruined for. I've said many times for the big bottle tequila now, but um, that's I think where you get in trouble, right? Is yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Well, fellas, we're pushing up on like an hour and twenty minutes here. Um, Mike, I think we probably should cut this short because I know Greg is looking at having a uh, some additional stuff demands on your time, and I, I probably have another round of awful medicine to take, and and you have to get off to see uh, Eric Wind. So we'll I think we'll probably cut this short. Do we have any any kind of final recommendations? I don't want to put you on the spot, Mike. If you have anything that you want to kind of suggest, but we you know if we found good books or resources for watches or you know products or movies or whatever this is sort of when we shout these out at the end Mm. Um, if you want to think of something greg do you have anything i actually have something this time um sure i can share something i I think uh by the way oak and oscar does really nice email communications um and so i've i get you know stuff sent over from those from the from the team over there and i must have missed this earlier but they had a you know their blog where they post some sort of more longer form stuff um, from earlier in the year, maybe back in August. But anyway, they just sort of maybe highlighted some of their favorite articles that they posted to their blog. And and it was cool because it hit exactly where we like to play. It was, what did they call this? Uh, from the Bench, Bitter Bevels. And it was actually a story about how um, Angostura bitters, sort of what their origin is in the plant that it comes from. And ironically, the plant is also used by watchmakers um, as they, you know, traditionally using when they're doing some of the anglage. Um, it's that sort of soft wooden, you know, uh, a pointed uh, uh, kind of tool that they'll use um, in some of their polishing, you know, with some diamond uh, 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 diamond dust and some stuff. So anyway, a really cool article posted on the Oak and Oscar um, blog about sort of the origin of, of bitters, Angostura bitters in particular, and, and its relate, uh, relation to, to watchmaking. Oh, that's cool. Check that out. Right on. Well, I actually have one too, and this is very prosaic, but um, I just, and it's not super new or anything. I mean, it's been, I think, available now for for a minute, but uh, just sort of being kind of confined to couch and bed and home and whatnot for the past like two weeks. 
um, I'm starting to, you know, binge different things that I haven't seen or catch up on things. And one of the things that's out is the third installment of the, the Jack Ryan, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, series on Amazon. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. It's on Amazon. Um, same kind of cast of characters. John Krasinski's great in this, um, far, far better. And I think more believable as a, uh, a Clancy like hero type character. Um, you know, than anything you'd seen in the other movies, as much as I liked some of the other movies like Hunt for Red October and stuff like that. This is obviously a different format, kind of like a, a contained miniseries. And there are stories that are different from what you've seen in the books. So it's not like, you know, they're trying to distill something that you read 30 years ago. But uh, this current one feels very modern, you know, involves, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, to me, that's kind of a fun, you know, pulpy thing to watch and very well produced. And what really, I think, sets this one apart from some other things like it is uh, their location filming. You know, they, they it seems like either a lot of stuff is really, really high quality B-roll or good CGI. But it seems like a lot of what they do is, you know, on location in some really cool places you know, in this case, it's like, you know, Athens and Rome and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's a fun watch. And I suggest, uh, you know, what's the word? Dialing that up, tuning it in, um, whatever, downloading it, whatever the uh, the appropriate terminology is. But that's fun. I've enjoyed it. I think a lot of people would, especially if you're if you're a watches and espionage kind of person, um, then this is right up your alley. Nice. Can't wait to watch it when I get back because my wife and I really enjoyed the first two seasons. So I'll, um, <clears throat> I'll give you one recommendation um, and a little bit of a sneak preview because I think we're going to talk about this in our next episode. But uh, uh, if, uh, if you have the opportunity, uh, it's probably about a five, five, ten minute read uh, and go to the website uh, perezcope.com. Yeah, so, we've talked about that. Yeah, the, uh, the the recent article about the uh, white gold Daytona unicorn is really worth reading. And um, I've had the opportunity to meet Jose before in person and just a really neat, knowledgeable guy. Um, his writing could be, you know, he gets very emotional in his writing, um, which you can tell he's very passionate about the subject, but it uh, exposes a really, <laughs> really ugly side, I would say, of the the auction world potentially. And I think it is, um, if nothing else, a lesson that uh, no matter what you're buying, it is it is really good to do your research and you know ask the hard questions. And if you don't get the answers you're looking for, uh, you need to try to take the emotion out of it and walk away. Um, so I saw his post about it and you, I'm glad you reminded me not to actually go back and read it. So that's awesome. I'm going to do that. Same. I saw it teased and was intrigued. I'd like to yeah, consume that here. It's good. And the prior one about the Cartier crash, uh, is also really good. Just the amount of research he does and, and everything is just, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So yeah. Just out here keeping everyone honest, honest ish. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, fellas, why don't we uh, we'll wrap it up with that? That'll be sort of our our last rhetorical sip for the day. No real sips for me, except Diet Sprite. 
But uh, Mike, it's been great to have you on. We needed to do this again. I'm glad we were able to connect this time with Greg. Yeah, it's always um, a treat. Thanks for, thanks for being patient with us. We, we made it work. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and hit the stop button. You guys thanks, take Charles. it easy. Thank Cheers. You. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.